When most people talk about knowing their ABCs, they're referencing the alphabet. But here at Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA, we're talking about the ABCs of behavior. Each week, we'll discuss a topic in the world of animal training and break down the science of behavior change. One of the great things about behavior and training is that it relates to animals of every kind. So whether you're training a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my, or your pet at home, this podcast is for you. So without further ado, let's talk some training. Hello and welcome to Animal Behavior Conversations, the podcast of the ABMA. Today we are talking about positive and negative punishment with special guest Justin Garner. This podcast is presented by the ABMA or the Animal Behavior Management Alliance, which is a not-for-profit organization with a membership comprised of animal care professionals and other individuals interested in enhancing animal care through training and enrichment. The ABMA continually strives to advance intentional and enlightened behavior management through operant conditioning to improve the lives and welfare of all animals. If you'd like to learn more or become a member of the ABMA, visit us at our website at theabma.org. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. I'm your host, Shane, and I am a current ABMA board member and self-proclaimed behavior nerd. For anyone joining us again on the podcast, thank you so much. We are glad to have you back and to continue to talk about behavior. The goal of this podcast is to implement one of the goals of the ABMA, which is to continue the spread of knowledge and sharing throughout the animal care field. Each episode, we will break down one topic that involves the science of behavior and animal training. We want to provide a resource for newer trainers to learn and for experienced trainers to be refreshed. Even though the content you hear in this podcast reflects the views of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views of the ABMA or the board of directors, we think that the diversity of subjects and viewpoints represented by animal care professionals from around the world is one of the strengths of this organization. Some things you agree with and others may challenge your perceptions and ideas, but we encourage you to listen to all that you hear with an open mind because you might be surprised by what you learn. Last week, we discussed negative reinforcement with Annika Nazareth, and in episode 9, we discussed positive reinforcement with Andy Haugen. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those episodes, check them out, because this week we are continuing on with that trend to discuss positive and negative punishment, and to help me talk about it is friend of the podcast, Justin Gardner. Thanks for joining us again, Justin. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be back. Yes, and uh, where are you currently recording? In my garage. In your garage. Is that weird? And uh, maybe a little bit. That's why I had to make fun of you a little bit. But anyways, (laughs) moving on. Justin, you've been on a couple of times, officially friend of the podcast. But for anyone who hasn't listened to your previous episodes, can you give us a little bit about yourself and your journey through the animal care and training field? I started way back in, I think, 2000 um, at the Pittsburgh Zoo. And I worked in a bunch of different departments there while I was in college and kind of bounced around to different facilities, different aquariums, different zoos. And I have been at Busch Gardens Tampa for the past 12 years. So I currently work with cheetahs. But prior to that, most of my experience was with marine mammals and a little bit of free flight bird training as well. And that's kind of my animal background, um, but my ABMA background is, I think I've been involved with ABMA since 2015 or 2016, been a director on the board, I'm co-chair of the Government Affairs Committee, I had a little bit of a stint as 
president and I am now currently again a director on the board of directors and a guest on the podcast. And once again, myself and Cornelius, the best ground hornbill in the world, is just totally appalled that you continue to not talk about <laughs> that you work with an incredible hornbill. One of these episodes, we're going to get it right. I'm going to get it right. I'm sorry to you, Shane, and I, I do apologize to Cornelius if he's listening. Next time, I'm just going to have him be the guest. And yeah. everyone will hear, hmm, we would love it. Hmm, hmm. Anyways. And my uh, computer would never be the same after. <laughs> that's very true. All right, everyone who isn't a Ground Hornbill fan is like, let's get to the episode, which is what we're going to do right now. So today's topic is punishment. So let's discuss punishment as it pertains to training and behavior. Punishment is the procedure by which a consequence decreases the future frequency of the behavior it follows. And reinforcement, we're increasing the future frequency of a behavior that behavior will maintain or increase, whereas in punishment, we are decreasing that future frequency of a behavior. It is important to note that the word punishment within the confines of the science of behavior change does not necessarily mean something bad is happening, just that a behavior's future frequency is decreasing. In English language, punishment has certain connotations, but in training, we have to put those aside and think about punishment in terms of a consequence decreasing that behavior. And just like with reinforcement, we have positive and negative punishment. Positive punishment is when a consequence is added to the environment in order to decrease the future frequency of the behavior that it follows. And negative punishment is when a consequence is removed from the environment in order to decrease the future frequency of a behavior. Wow, I just said future frequency way too many times. So Justin, can you get the ball rolling and can you give us a few examples of positive and negative punishment in action? I'm going to do my best. Examples are always hard to to think about, but maybe the easiest to start with would be positive punishment. What do you think, Shane? I agree. So positive punishment, an example, um, would be a lot of what happened historically in the zoo and just animal training worlds in general. So Historically, punishment was kind of the driving force of animal shows and just any humans working with animals. Um, And we still see it a lot with dogs. Um, If you think of the kind of old, you know, tradition, I guess, or old example of rolling up a newspaper when a dog or a puppy has an accident in the house, um, And when it has an accident, the newspaper hits the dog on the nose or the owner is instructed to hit the dog on the nose to, in theory, punish the behavior of having the accident inside the house. So that's that's kind of the easiest one that I can think of as far as an animal. It's kind of generic, but I think it illustrates the point. Another example that comes to my mind is with horses, even though I don't have much experience with horses, it makes sense. It's helped my brain kind of process all of this information over the years. So hopefully it helps other people as well. But if you're riding a horse and you pull on the reins to the left, you're adding an aversive stimulus, the bit in the mouth, the feeling of that bit in the mouth punishes 
or decreases the frequency of the horse moving forward, which then brings up our next example, Shane. It also is going to increase the frequency of the horse moving to the left. So once the horse starts moving to the left, the rider lets go of that left rein or lets go of the pressure on that left rein uh, that takes away that aversive stimulus. So taking away that aversive stimulus after the horse is moving left increases the frequency or reinforces the behavior of moving left. So you're punishing one behavior and reinforcing another. So I think sometimes when we talk about the positive and negative, it gets confusing because we have to be talking about the same behavior. Probably if you're punishing one, you're reinforcing another. And it really does come down to the way that you're specifically looking at it, like you said in that example, which is why I think also historically that was what was used a lot because you saw behaviors happening, but just not in the best way like you just described. Exactly. Punishment does work. So we all, when we get into the field, learn that positive reinforcement is the best and it's only the only thing that we should be using, but punishment does work. I think anybody that understands behavior um, and is fluent in behavior change and learning theory, um, that punishment does work, but it comes with a lot of side effects as well. Yeah. And we'll get into those as we go throughout this episode, because like you kind of alluded to, Punishment is part of operant conditioning and operant conditioning is learning. So there is a way that animals can learn using punishment. But like you just alluded to, we're going to get to that because I think a really important note you brought up was that we are talking about punishment because we have to remember our history. We have to think of where that came from, but it's important to know that we know a lot more now and we're doing better now, which is why we choose not to do punishment, but it's still important for us to have that background of the historical context, but also for us to understand now to make sure that we aren't leaning on punishment, but instead leaning on positive reinforcement when we're training our animals. With that said, we just talked about positive punishment. So Justin, can you give us some practical examples of what negative punishment might look like? Sure. So negative punishment, to me, I've seen a lot when shifting animals. An example would be if you're a tiger or a lion or cheetah that's moving through a chute, it's maybe outside in an outside habitat, and you're asking it to come through a gate to an inside space when the animal is moving slow. When you ask it to shift, it's moving slow. And you want the animal to move fast um, and you don't want it to move slow, closing the gate in front of the animal. So you're standing behind the gate, you're calling the animal towards you, it sees you, but it's moving slow towards you. If you close the gate in between you and the animal, you're removing its opportunity to earn reinforcement. In theory, we would be the reinforcer. The trainer that it sees is a reinforcer. We're conditioned. We're a conditioned reinforcer. We're paired with lots of other good things. And if we're removing that from the animal's environment, then 
that is negative. Um, and it, that would be punishment if the behavior of moving slowly decreases in frequency. And so a lot of times when we reopen that gate and the animal sees the trainer again, that stimulus, stimulus of the trainer is added back in the opportunity to earn reinforcement reinforcement is added back into the environment. The frequency of moving fast increases. So that would be negative punishment would be removing the trainer or the opportunity to earn reinforcement. That would be negatively punishing moving slow and then adding back in um, the stimulus of the trainer opportunity to earn reinforcement would be reinforcing the behavior of moving fast. But of course, the only way we know any of this is to see over time if the behavior either increases in frequency or decreases in frequency. Which is why I said future fre frequency about 50 times during our definition segment at the very beginning of this. I had to, I had to go full circle, bring it back to your original point right there. And the podcast is over. No, I'm just kidding. I, I also Fun. have to say, My Justin, God. when you were saying, giving examples of animal shifting, you went, if you're having your lion or your tiger, and I totally thought you were going to say, or bear shift. And you said, cheetah, what? But that why was, didn't that was pretty I? funny. That's a missed opportunity. Yeah, really did. And then I called you out on it. So double, <laughs> double whammy. Anyways, getting back on topic, because Justin and I will squirrel all day long. One really other good. thing that we want to talk about with negative punishment is timeouts. This is something that in a future episode, we will dedicate more time and go more in depth on that. But it's probably something that most people have heard as a term to use when training animals. So Justin, can you talk a little bit about timeouts and the aspect of that, that is negative punishment? Timeouts. So timeout is negative punishment. If applied and used the way most folks talk about it. So if assuming that the trainer is a reinforcer to the animal or the opportunity to earn reinforcers, if we're removed from the animal's environment, then we are negative, right? Negatively removing stimulus. Um, and hopefully if it's used the way we talk about it, we are punishing a specific behavior. So for example, if an animal, you ask an animal to stand up and it sits down and you give it a timeout by walking away, you're removing yourself in theory, your intent is to punish or decrease the frequency of the animal sitting down on a standing up cue or SD. If you are new coming into the field or if you've been in the field for a long time, really give them a second thought because they are a form of punishment. And is there a better way or a more effective way to teach the animals what you want um, than a timeout. So I will be the first to admit in all the animals I've worked with, there are many times that I have to step away from a session or end a session and come back later, but it's all about our mindset. So I try to keep my mindset that I just got to a point, I made enough mistakes as a trainer that I got myself to a point where I had nothing left to reinforce 
the animal for what I wanted it to do. So I just have to take a break and come back later when I might be better set up. The antecedent arrangements are better arranged to be able to reinforce what I want. That's somewhere I try to never get to. Um, I don't want to get a session to the point that I have nothing left to reinforce. So when I break from a session, I, my intent is not to punish the animal. It's to come back in an opportunity to teach them what I want them to do. Um, so don't use, I recommend to not use timeouts as a normal common occurrence in training. Um, because if you are, I would say, or you find yourself having to use timeouts or a team talking about timeouts frequently, there's probably something else wrong, something else that is missing from the program that you have to be able to use timeouts or you have to resort to using timeouts um, on a frequent basis. It should be very far and few between, if at all, in my humble opinion. I think that was a really concise and great way to kind of talk about timeouts. And like I said, I want to do a future episode on this for all the reasons that you just said. There's a lot to discuss on if you're not set up maybe for one behavior to progress on a behavior, instead of resorting to a timeout, you could just do something that you know will be not putting you in that situation and then come back later without having to do a timeout when you're regrouped. So lots of things that we can get into in future episodes, but I we really wanted to talk about that right here because timeouts are part of negative punishment. Now, also, Justin, you said mindset. We didn't plan this. That was perfect. But you talked about getting yourself in the right mindset. So thinking of that, so you just gave the example of how someone might negatively use negative punishment if an animal is slowly shifting in. How can we use positive reinforcement to teach the animal shifting behavior instead of resorting to punishment? So I think there's lots of different ways, depends on the animal and the scenario and the whole thing. But what it boils down to in any scenario is really keeping an eye out for what the animal is doing right. Um, one of the problems with punishment is it kind of teaches the trainers to keep an eye out for what you want the animal not to do, rather than thinking about what we do want them to do. So in terms of shifting faster, Rather than focusing on the animal moving slow, I would first start thinking, well, what can I do before the behavior even occurs, before we even ask the animal to shift? How can I arrange those antecedents to set the animal up to be most likely to move faster than slow, whatever that measure is, and then deliver reinforcement for anything that is higher criteria than what you're not looking for. So maybe it's just the first four steps when you ask it to shift is not slow. That would be a time to reinforce. Um, and then maybe you approximate that to six, seven, eight steps until it's moving all the way into the house quickly and not slow. Um, that's just one way that I can think about using positive reinforcement. Might wanna use a bridge to highlight those, those moments where it's moving fast or just deliver your reinforcement quickly at that moment. 
um, but focusing on small approximations closer to the criteria that you're looking for. And in this case, it's moving fast. So breaking it down into small, small steps. And unwittingly, Justin just teased one of our episodes coming up in the near future about successive approximations, which is what you I don't think I about. was invited to that one, though. <laughs> Other people have to have a chance, Justin. Oh. Anyways, that was a really great way to wrap up that discussion and talking about kind of what you said that how you're looking at it, that mindset that there are definitely ways that we can use the power of positive reinforcement when teaching animals versus using punishment tactics. But also looking at the science, we have data that shows the negative and aversive effects that punishment has on animals. So Justin, can you explain some of those aversives and further explore why operant conditioning focused on punishment techniques does not provide the best welfare for animals? I will do my best because there is a lot of science out there. I have tried to read through a lot of it over the years, but if you are interested in animal learning, animal training, positive reinforcement, I would encourage you to read the, the actual science because there's a lot out there for sure. But some of the things I think Shane can maybe back me up on that we've see, we see a lot working with animals is that I guess, first and foremost, I think we're all working with animals because we like them. We want to build strong, positive relationships with them. So I guess the easiest thing to think about is punishment does the exact opposite. If we're using punishment, we're not building a strong and positive relationship with the animals, which is our overall goal. Um, punishment could be reinforcing to the animal. So the only one that can gauge whether something is punishing or the level of the punisher is really the one who's being punished. So the animal. So the trainer might think that the punisher that they're applying is maybe mild, but to that animal or to that individual, as you've heard on this podcast before, it's a study of one. You might have that one animal that might find what you think is a mild punisher to be a horrible, super scary, um, super painful punisher. Um, and so you don't really know um, what the animal is perceiving is punishing. On a lighter note of that, though, one of the most reinforcing things to animals is our attention. And so one thing punishment does is it draws attention to the animal. And I've worked with animals before, and I think anybody who's worked with animals can think of examples of when an animal actually finds it reinforcing if you are drawing attention to it, even if it wasn't meant to be a reinforcer. So I think of that almost as like a little kid that gets yelled at by a parent. Um, it's probably really scary and not a very fun thing the first couple of times, but if the parent is always yelling, it just kind of becomes neutral, potentially even reinforcing, kind of getting a rise out of the parent. So that's a problem with punishment um, for sure. Um, it usually does have to escalate as well. So it might start off as mild. And then as the learner or the animal becomes desensitized to it, then it escalates. The puppy that has an accident in the house and gets hit on the nose with that rolled up newspaper probably won't care about the newspaper later on 
And then that pop on the nose is going to have to get more intense. It might have to get harder or it might be harder. Plus now the owner is yelling at the same time. So it tends, punishment tends to have to increase in severity um, for the learner to be and to be effective over time. Punishment works best when it is used every time. So fixed ratio of one. That's when punishment works best. Reinforcement works best on an intermittent schedule, at least for maintaining a behavior. Um, we know that science says that is most resistant to extinction. So unless you are going to be observing your animals pretty much all the time and you are going to be ready to punish them every time they do the undesired behavior, Probably all the animal is going to learn is to not do the behavior it got punished for around the punisher or around the trainer. So kind of like when you're a little kid, you know what you can get away with when mom's home versus when dad's home. Um, so punishment just teaches the animal to not do the undesired behavior in front of the, the person that has the aversive or that is going to punish them. Most importantly to me, aggression is a side effect of punishment. So if you're going to use punishment and animals are in an environment where punishers are, are frequent, then most likely you are going to increase the frequency of them aggressing. The aggression might be directed at a trainer. It might be directed at a conspecific. In extreme cases, it can even be directed on themselves. So punishment at times can kind of borderline abuse. It can escalate to where it is actually abuse. And in those extreme scenarios, animals will aggress even on themselves. But most importantly, we want to teach animals not to aggress on each other or on trainers. So punishment can make that more likely to occur. The last thing I can think of, I'm sure there's many others, is that Overall, if punishment is frequent in an animal's environment, they have less output of behavior. So they just learn not to emit behavior for fear of being punished, which doesn't allow us to reinforce behavior that we want. We actually, we want animals to be trying new things and to think learning is fun because the more they try and the more they, they emit different behaviors, the more opportunity there is for us to reinforce behaviors that we do want. Um, so we do want animals working with us because they want to, not because they have to. And so if animals are only working with us because they have to, then they're probably only going to do the bare minimum of what require what is required of them to not get punished. Whereas if we're using positive reinforcement, they're going to do uh, they're going to go above and beyond. They're going to be trying new things and hopefully be less aggressive uh, as well. Punishing animals do doesn't teach them what we want them to do. So it might be effective in decreasing the frequency of an undesired response or an undesired behavior, but the animal is not learning what we actually want them to do. So that is important too, because most often we're gonna want animals to do something and not do something else. Punishment only does one half of that. It only teaches them what we don't want them to do. 
it's very really hard to use as well. So it has to be timed almost at the exact moment that that undesired response happens. Because a lot of times, if it's delayed even a little bit, the animal doesn't connect being punished with the actual behavior that the trainer intends to punish. One thing that I really liked that you said, Justin, was talking about how each animal is different. The quote-unquote severity of punishment and the way that they perceive it is different animal to animal. And I also want to really halt ourselves from also thinking that way that one punishment is more severe quote-unquote than others which there definitely are extreme cases like you kind of talked about but thinking about how our profession is thinking about welfare more and mental states of animals and that's one thing that I think is important that when we're using punishment thinking about the mental state that maybe it's not physically an aversive to an animal necessarily, but we can still negatively impact that animal's welfare by being aversive towards their mental states. I agree. And I think that, well, I think I know that we'll never know what any animal is truly thinking. So that preface, um, I don't know what they're thinking, but can only imagine so if you're an animal that grew up and lives in a very punitive training program that we would commonly see historically in our field um there's even if you reinforce an animal which that argument's there so you use a punisher and then the animal lifts its leg to avoid the stick or whatever it is and then you throw some food to that animal and you say that you it's okay because you ended the behavior with positive reinforcement. But if that animal grew up and lives in a very punitive training program, there's always that constant threat. Um, really what was probably driving the behavior of that leg lift probably was the punisher. So if you take away whatever food you threw at the end of that, the animal would probably still move its leg or lift its leg to avoid the stick or whatever that aversive was. So mental state is hard to measure and quantify. And we're only, I think, scratching the surface of that now in 2023, learning about animal welfare. But just thinking about it, you know, how would I feel or how would you feel living in an environment where there is a constant threat, even if that trainer or the teacher uses positive reinforcement, if they use punishment frequently enough or intermittently enough, there's still that scariness, right? That mental state of scariness. Um, and that's certainly not uh, the environment I want to provide for the animals that I work with. And I don't think anybody out there does. So just something to think about. But to Shane's point, we're learning more every day and there's new research and study on animal welfare. But um, and there's lots of current research on um, different training programs and how it uh, impacts animal welfare. So it's a great topic. And I think it's just the tip of the iceberg. And that could probably be five whole podcasts easily in the future. hundred yeah, percent. I think it's just so important for us to have that caveat. I'm glad that you added that in that we do not know 
what they are thinking, what they're feeling. We can watch their behavior. We can have relationship relationships with them to be able to understand what their behaviors are. However, it is still important for us to remember that animals have a mental state. They're feeling emotions. They're feeling happy, scared, all those things. And that painting a holistic picture is going to include all those assets while we are caring for the animals. And not to date myself, but you just mentioned animals' emotions. I just want to point out though, like when I got into the field, what would it be 23 years ago? I mean, it was very common to be taught that animals don't have emotions, right? Like we only know what we see. I still believe we only know what we see, but I think anybody that's worked with animals, especially people that have worked with animals with positive reinforcement, I think we all know that animals do have emotions, but that's still hard to quantify for sure, but it's becoming more and more apparent and I'm certainly not an expert in it, but it's a, it's a cool topic that now I think it's commonplace that, that it's accepted that animals do have an emotional state and um, can be easily impacted on how we interact with them and positive reinforcement versus forms of punishment are uh, great examples of how we can go one way or the other. And tying that all into today's episode, Justin, do you have any last thoughts on why it is better for us as animal trainers to focus on positive reinforcement over punishment? Because I personally want to have fun with animals. I want to teach them new behaviors. I want them to be excited to work with me. I want them to work with me because they want to, not because they have to. Um, I don't want to be the person who they're kind of afraid of. They're kind of like, oh, here he comes again. And I have to do these things. So, I mean, that's just on a personal note. But of course, all of the long list that we talked about of the side effects of punishment. I mean, uh, I think about those anytime punishment even kind of comes up at all, depending on the scenario and depending on the animal. Um, mostly those side effects I want to avoid um, any one of them uh, because we want the best and most positive learning environment for our animals and our teams. But also we want the animals to know that they are what they are. They're the species they are. If we're working with a cheetah or a tiger, I don't want them to think that I'm just another tiger or I'm just another cheetah. Uh, I think historically that was kind of a thing. So if you, or we look at animals like they we're a part of their social structure, then we find this need to be dominant or, um, we have to lead them where I look at training now as they know what they, they know. I'm not a cheetah or I'm not a tiger, right? I just want them to be excited to work with me and allow me or invite me into their space um, or their day uh, to work with me. So I think punishment just does the opposite. You, it just leads itself to um, that dominant do it or else mentality which is just not a safe or positive experience for the animals in that environment. And ending this discussion, 
I wanted to bring up something that I was very fortunate to have learned a lot about as I started my career being mentored by Vader Stillard, who was on a couple of episodes ago, where he would always talk about how we want our animals working with us and not for us. And I think everything that you just said that we've talked about today, it's pretty clear to see that in order for us to have that relationship, that two-way communication, that dialogue with animals, it's not through punishment, it's through positive reinforcement. You nailed it. So before we get into Justin's training tale for the episode, we want to talk about something pretty cool that happened after last week's episode, because one of the goals of this podcast is to educate and also to start conversations. All of us, no matter if we have one day working with animals or a thousand days working with animals, we all can agree that there's so much more to learn. We're learning every day. Something we thought yesterday may not be correct. We might learn new things. So from last week's episode, Justin and I had one of those really cool discussions that we hope that other people are also having and a way that all of us are thinking critically about the science of behavior change. So Justin, do you want to talk a little bit about that discussion that we had? Yeah. I mean, everything you just said, Shane, is exactly what I was thinking through our discussion too. And I promise we'll tell the listeners what our discussion was, but just a preface. So like, I am always learning. Um, and I think it's just a good learning opportunity for everybody to li- listening to the podcast that um, just always question, right? So, I mean, there's been so many things that I thought I've known, been very confident that I've known, um, that other people experienced and and new novice people into our field have, have taught me otherwise or have caused me to go seek out more information. And uh, the conversation Shane and I had from the last episode was exactly that. It was kind of a fundamental basic example um, that as I was listening to the podcast, as I was jogging, I was like, it just didn't sound right. And it made me really think. And so I, I still may not be right. I'll preface that. Um, but it did make me think. And so then Shane, I called Shane and I was like, Hey, this made me think we had a discussion. So let's have that discussion and example again. And maybe we'll see if everybody else, um, can kind of get thinking and thinking critically like you and I did. Yes. And it stemmed from the example that I gave last week of negative reinforcement with the ground hornbill that was picking up multiple stuffed animals and bringing into a nest. And one of the, the way that I explained it was the way that I remembered it, but it was really cool that as Justin and I started talking, I started remembering more and more and thinking critically about it because with the way that I explained it in the episode, Justin, when he called me, he said, what is one of the criteria for something to be a reinforcer? And your response was? One of the criteria for something to be a reinforcer is that it occurs after a behavior. So when I called Shane, I well, first, 
I wanted to make sure that I understood or I heard the example correctly um, because it was a cool example and I still want to see that <laughs> finished behavior. But the way I heard it and understood it was that the removal of the stuffed animal happened before the behavior in question. So to me, I was thinking, well, that's antecedent arrangement, which back to Chris's podcast so an antecedent happens before the behavior. So um, by removing the stuffed animal, I was thinking, well, you're arranging the environment to make it more likely for this hornbill to go retrieve one of the other stuffed animals. And then as we started talking, we talked for like 45 minutes. It was really that, great discussion. Uh, that's small change for Shane and I just. Yeah, that's very, very true. But that's <laughs> kind of what we wanted to talk about where that, you know, it's something that I had to think a lot about. And as we were discussing and I was remembering this behavior more, the way that I, if I could go back in time, I would describe it with that would be that the hornbill dropped the stuffed animal and then would leave the nest and then the stuffed animal was removed so we talked a lot about you know the way that you look at it yes that could be but also as justin said it could very well be antecedent arrangement setting your animal's environment up for the best success as well and i think it boils down to what specific behavior we're looking at and we're operationalizing depends on what specific part of the behavior that we're looking at um, and the ABCs of that specific behavior. Because once we started talking, maybe 40 minutes in, um, we realized that there were many more behaviors than just the retrievals by themselves. So, you know, part of what uh, one behavior the hornbill had to do before it could retrieve a second stuffed animal was to turn and walk away. So that's a behavior by itself, just as an example. So I just think that the take home for me is that I like when these things happen. It just kind of stuck with me when I heard it and I wanted to learn more. I wanted to think about it more. And I all, that's how I, I learn a lot is just by being questioned. I like when somebody questions something I said or something that I did, or even something that I know, because it leads to these discussions, which ultimately caused me to learn more. And I don't know if we came to an end final official um, answer to that chain, but it certainly made me think more. And I definitely, I think, know more now than I did before our discussion and before the podcast. Agree completely, especially when you talked about breaking down the multiple different behaviors that was happening in that one example that I was giving and really looking at that as a cool way to think critically. And as we end this discussion and move on to Justin's training tale, that's kind of why we wanted to talk a little bit about it was to open it up for all of us to think critically. If you have questions, please always feel free to contact us at abc at the abma.org. Talk with your colleagues, think critically, question things while 
giving feedback in the correct manner is all ways that we are going to continue to grow ourselves and grow as a profession into the future. Well said, Shane. And with that, let's get into Justin's training tale for the episodes. So Justin, can you tell us a fun or interesting training story? There's so many over the years. Uh, I think every day we have funny and intriguing animal stories. Um, But one of the many that I can think of right now, for some reason, it's kind of on my brain, is a cheetah I worked with uh, that was raised with a dog. Um, The dog thought trainers were the coolest thing in the whole world. And all she wanted to do was be near trainers and interacting with trainers. And um, over time, she didn't think the cheetah was as cool. So um, one day uh, we were shifting the cheetah and the dog from the habitat um, into the house. And previously we were having some shifting challenges where um, the dog would keep the cheetah away from trainers. So she would keep the cheetah on the habitat and she would come into the house because that's where the trainers were. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to teach her that the criteria of shifting into the, into the back area was that the cheetah had to be there too. And she's pretty smart and she, she learned pretty quickly and she, I'll never forget this one. I could still see it as I'm telling the story, but um, she kept the dog on the habitat and started running into the house um, as we asked her to shift. And then she put the brakes on. And you could see the wheels turning and smoke coming out of her, her ears. And she ran right back out onto the habitat and she grabbed the cheetah and she drug him the whole way into the house and got right in front of us and was like, hey, I'm here. I've got the cheetah, which I guess is what we wanted her to learn, but maybe just not that way. Um, but that's one of the funny stories that sticks out to me. That is amazing. And that also concludes today's episode. This, of course, just scratches the surface. So if you have any questions at all, please reach out on any of the ABMA social channels or by emailing abc at the abma.org. I do want to give a shout out to Morgan, who recently just messaged me saying that she would really like to see some episodes on the PREMAC principle and bridging stimulus. So we have those in the works. But like I said, if you have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out to us because it might be something that we haven't thought of and we want to make sure that we can get the information that you all want to listen to. So once again, thank you to Morgan and everyone else who's contacted us about the podcast. But Justin, before we go, if anyone has any questions for you, is there a way that they can reach you? Sure, they can email me at my ABMA email address, uh, directorjustin at abma.org, or you can email the podcast. Perfect. And special thank you once again to Justin for joining us today. James McAleb for our theme song, Ayla on the Beat, sung by the ever-talented Ayla the Sea Lion. All of our ABMA members and to you for listening and joining in on the behavior conversation. If you aren't already a member, please consider joining the ABMA by visiting the abma.org as we all strive to better the lives of animals around the world. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and join us next week on Animal Behavior Conversations. In the meantime, thanks for joining us and happy training.
good old timeouts. Yeah, this okay, Shane. We cannot squirrel, and we can't go down a rabbit hole because this is a good one. Wait, do um, squirrels go down rabbit holes? That's a really good question. <laughs> I don't know, but we're gonna have to Google that one. 